I'm making a massive assumption here that you all know Jesus and you love him and you seek to find your identity in him and understand what that means because how many of us would give up a Saturday afternoon to come and listen to a fat scouser speak, to be fair? I'm being honest. So I'm making that massive assumption. But can I ask you to do this? Throughout the three talks, open up your eyes and open up your heart and ask the question, do I really know who Jesus is? Do I really understand? Is Jesus the king of my life? Is he? Because if he is, you will live differently. You will live differently. Being a Christian and being part of God's people and living in light of what God has called us to do and called us to be, it is not enough just to, when you're six years of age, pray a prayer. Hear me when I say that. I believe Jesus saved me at six. I really do. But the evidence of that salvation, I pray, has been lived out in my life. As a teenager, I didn't live as a Christian. I lived as a son in a Christian family. There's a distinct difference. Distinct difference. I sought to obey my parents when they were watching. <laughs> but I went to church. I engaged in that. And at the end, at 18, I joined the police. My period of time in the police, from, I went from being a schoolboy to having more power than any other person I knew. I went from, from playing football in the street and driving a car and going out court. I nearly said courting. How old was I? Going out with my girlfriend, who's now my wife, to becoming a police officer and arresting people and taking people's liberty. Imagine what that did to my heart and it did to my head. Imagine, fellas, ladies. I thought I was the boy. I thought I was the don, completely. And what happens? Yet I claim the name of Jesus, but my life did not reflect it. And what happened when I was 21, just got married, we were at a camp, and I was at a camp in a place called Petheli in Wales. And I was doing a Bible study with kids 10 years of age, 10 years of age, and we were talking about the cross, and it was at that point, as I was teaching these kids of 10, did I really understand what Christ had done for me? The implications of what that meant for me, the implications of what that meant for me to live in the context that God had put me, I started to really understand what it meant to find my identity in the cross. And I was doing this Bible study with these kids, 10, 11. I start crying. Imagine that. I start crying. All these little kids are like, oh my word, what's going on? You know what I mean? You know, and they were all from like good reformed conservative backgrounds. Okay, so no crying was happening or putting hands in here or anything like that. So they were like panicking. Oh my word. Steve's crying. For the first time it got me. And by God's grace, he's slowly starting to show me what it is to live, one as an individual, but to recognize that I'm not only an individual in Christ, that I am part of a people. I am part of a people. And I think our generation and the generation that you guys are growing up and the generation for those who are older that we're living in the midst of and some of us who have children, our kids are going to grow up in that, is in a generation that pumps in that your identity is about your individuality. Your identity is about what you think and what you feel and what you feel is right and you feel is, is, is joyful, what you think is happy, what, what you think is king. So it's down to you. See, the interesting thing is this. As a Christian, yes, you stand before God on your own, but you're saved to be part of a people. You're saved to be part of a people. And what I want us all to walk away with is to recognize the wonder of what God has done for us in Jesus, but also that we've been saved to be part of a people that reflect his glory to the world. Are you with me? 
So we're going to I'm going to do three talks. I've got 15 minutes left, all right, for the first one. We're going to do three talks. The first one I'm going to talk about our identity. Identity in Christ means you are gospel-centered. We're going to look at 1 Peter and we're going to look at what it says and remind ourselves what it is to be gospel-centered. The next talk is identity in Christ means you are marked by grace. And we'll unpack that. And the last one is identity in Christ means you are on mission. These aren't you choose to be gospel-centered. These aren't you choose to be marked by grace. These aren't you choose to be on mission. This is what it is if your identity is in Christ as being a member of the body, a member of God's people. You with me? Fantastic. Like I said, I planted a church, replanted a church called Ramley's Road Church that had about 12 people in it, 12 old people, lovely, um, gracious. They love Jesus. What had happened, though, over a period of time, the church was planted in the 30s, and from a period of time, they completely lost sight of what it was to, to live as God's people. What had been drummed into them was you have to be at a meeting, you have to be at a prayer meeting, you have to do certain ways. And these people just didn't live in community with each other at all. And what happened was, yes, through a period of time, and for some of you, you will not even understand this because you haven't lived in this period. But for us who are older, the shops used to be shut, shut on a Sunday, you know. They, they used to be. It was like Christmas Day every week. It was like completely. And then what happened was people used to just go to church. That's, in my city, they did. Most people were sent to Sunday school. Because the parents want you out of the house. So this church was living during a period of time where everybody went to church and everything. So it was easy sort of to be that Christian in that context. What happened in the 80s and the 90s, that slowly started to change. And people's story that they live by started to change. There was this like assumption that people understood who God was. And when you said God, even 15, 20 years ago, everybody assumed that you were talking about the God of the Bible and God of Christianity. You say God now, it's different. So what happened with this church was they continued to live as the way that they thought it was right to live as God's people. But the story, the narrative that people were living by around that community of people that, let me share, never shared meals together, never went to each other's homes, just met in the building twice on a Sunday and once on a Wednesday. Now, it might sound that I'm being critical here, but the reality is this. This church went from being full to being empty. And for them saying, saying this, we are burying more people than we are baptizing. And last one alive, turn the lights off. Now, by God's grace, myself and a team of people joined with these folks in partnership. And, you know, things have changed since that point. But what, the reason why I tell you that story is, is this. Because the folks there... And actually, the folks that came with me to help restart the church, bottom line, really didn't have a clue what it was to live as God's people. That sounds really harsh, but it was true. All these young folks came and said, we're going to start a kids ministry, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to live like this, and, and we're going to do all, put everything and do these programs. And then you had these old people that were like, as long as we keep this, and as long as we keep this, and make it. And nowhere anyone was saying, oh, what does it mean just to live as a bus driver, as a Christian? Nobody was saying, what does it mean to be a mum and look after three kids and be up for half the night, feeding your children, looking after them, your husband comes home, tea on the table. What does that mean to be gospel-centered? What does it mean to be God's people? Because bottom line is, if it just means being here every week, that's not that joyful really, is it? It's a lovely building this, by the way, but I'm st- are you with me? 
And by God's grace, we were able to explore the gospel and explore the story of God through the Bible, which continues, which is exciting, through the story. And it's like, if one of the themes of, of the story of the Bible is that God, God draws a people to himself, there's got to be some sort of purpose and function for those people. There is more than just meeting on a Sunday. There is more than just meeting on a Wednesday. There is more than just doing a kids' ministry and a young people's ministry, of which all those things are really good. Now, the reason why I share you this is because this church went from a thriving church to 12 people. When we arrived, four left. It wasn't what they expected. All right? More people left. And it wasn't what they expected. The issue that they had and the problem that they had and the, 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 the distinct issue was that the world around them was changing. The things that people live for was changing. That actually, they had taken the assumption that Christianity had a seat at the center of society. We don't anymore. If you are a Christian, you are strange, right? We, people used to say that to me years ago. I never really used to believe it. Now I know it's true. If you claim to love Jesus, if you claim to love the Word of God, there are things within the Word of God of which our society, your generation, my generation, think are evil. Now, the interesting thing was, what's happening is, we as Christian people are being pushed further and further to the edges of society. People don't take what we, what we say seriously, do they? I was watching a thing on... Um, What's the morning television thing? TVAM, I was going to say. That was a long time ago. What is it? Good Morning Britain or something? What is it called? GMTV. There we go. There's a mum. Right. GMTV, right. And they were talking about marriage, right? They were talking about marriage and divorce. And so, you know, some of you are like, marriage, that's years off. I got married at 21, all right? So for some of you, it's not years off. All right. Look at him. He's panicking. Don't worry, lad. Don't worry. Don't worry about it, honestly. All right, but they were talking about marriage. And you know what was interesting? There were these three ladies, and it was, it was to do with divorce. And they were saying, you know, listen, it is wrong for us to encourage people to stay in unhappy marriages. It's wrong for people to say to us that they need to work it out. It's wrong for us to do that. And I'm saying, that, I can't believe I'm hearing this. And this one lady says, well, I, I was in a marriage, and I wasn't having, I got divorced, and now life is fantastic, and it's the happiest I've ever been, and everything. I'm thinking... And then another lady said, well, we've got to work out what marriage is. And I'm thinking, okay, we, we might be going somewhere with this one. We've got to work out what marriage is. And she said, the bottom line is this. We haven't been made just to be with one person for all our lives. And I'm thinking, one, where do you get that from? And two, boom, that's the issue. And then Lorraine Kelly, I remember her name, right? Lorraine Kelly said, but isn't it a wonderful thing when people do work through the struggles of a marriage and that marriage continues? And these three ladies just dismiss that as if to say, yeah, but you know. They sort of dismissed, yeah, it's a great thing if it, if it happens. That's the world we're living in, people. That's the world we're living in. And that's not even getting into the whole debate that's been going on with homosexuality. But that's the world that we're living in. That even to hold fast of what is, we're going to work through this relationship. To think that, phew, inconsiderate. People aren't interested. It's not important. You know, they're, they're, they're not open-minded enough. They haven't got a clue. See, the reality is this, people. It tells us in 1 Peter, we're going to be looking at that today. In 1 Peter, Peter speaks to a number of churches. A number of churches that are being persecuted. And when I say persecuted, I don't mean persecuted in the sense they're being fed to lions. Not at this stage. The persecution, I believe, from reading stuff, is very similar to what we experience today. 
These people were being ostracized. They were being pushed to the edge of society. That the story that everybody else was living by was completely different to these people that sought to live for Christ as a community of people. And they're being pushed further and further away. And it tells us in, 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 in Peter there, it tells us in chapter 2, as Peter reminds them of Jesus who is the cornerstone. All right, that's why we named our church Cornerstone. Because I'd rather be named after Jesus than a battle, okay? Because in, in, Ramley's road was a battle. The battle of Ramley's, I'd rather be known for Jesus. Right, but Jesus who is the cornerstone, who your life as an individual, our life as the church is built upon. That's what Peter says to them. He says, this cornerstone is rejected by men. The one thing that you claim to build your identity on is rejected by men. The one thing that you say you love, the one person that you say you love, the one act that he did, the one thing that he is doing now as he's ascended to be with God, humanity in the presence of God that gives us the power to live as God's people. Your friends, your family, your school, your university, your work colleagues reject him. Because the things that he claims and the things that he stands for and the word of God that is given to us for us to live as true human beings, others think is offensive. It's a stumbling block. And they're not interested. Listen, I don't want to paint a false picture for you guys in the world that you're living in. You know. I don't want to sit here and say, you know, if you read your Bible every day for an hour, and make sure you pray and spend an hour with the Lord. Everything's going to be okay. It's a good thing to do. But the world that you're living in increasingly is going to get harder as Christian people. So now is the time to really understand if you claim to know Christ what your identity is. Because your identity determines your purpose. Which also determines your function. If your identity is in how you look, everything that you live for will be shaped around to fulfill that identity. Everything you live for, every decision that you make, the friends that you have, the places that you go. And then how you function as an individual will be, a, will be, will be, will be done in such a way that affirms that identity. So therefore, if it's about how you look, you're not going to spend time with other people who, look not, who don't look like you. Are you with me? How much effort goes in to affirming our identities? Are you with me? So the, so the reality is this. We need to have freedom in recognizing that our identity is in Christ. See, what's interesting in the book of Peter, he writes to these churches that are really struggling, that are being pushed to the margins, that some probably were losing their incomes and their jobs. Why? Because they claim the name of Christ. Difficulties in feeding their kids. All different issues like that. So it wasn't like they were being arrested, but they were being pushed. People were not taking them seriously. And that had implications. And, one, uh, and Peter writes to these churches, what does he say to them? Does he say to them, okay guys, this is what I want you to do. You all need to club together, create a little holy huddle, give jobs to each other, and, and everything will be okay. Does he say that? He doesn't. Does he say, what I want you to do, we need to fight back. We need to get into all the, the councils. We need to become members of parliament. We need to fight for these things. Does he say that? No, because you know what Peter says? Don't be surprised when lost people make lost decisions and live in lost ways. That's what he says. Don't be surprised. What does he say? He reminds them who they are. 
and says, in light of who you are, this is how you are called to live in this situation. If you've got your Bibles, open it up at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It's on the screen. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I got five minutes left, okay? So we're going to rattle through this. But we're going to look at this verse over the next five minutes and then the other talks. First thing, Peter says to these churches, even though the men that you live amongst, the people that you live amongst, maybe even the people that you love, the people that you serve, the people that you're just seeking to win for the gospel, reject the very thing that you live for, remember, you are a chosen generation. The sovereign God has chosen you. You are a chosen generation. Verse 10, once you were not his people, you were not a people, you were scattered. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Peter says, in light of the fact that the world rejects the very thing that you build your identity on, you need to remember that you have been chosen. You need to remember, even though you lived a life that did not deserve the mercy of God, you have been shown the mercy of God. And now, not only have you been chosen to receive mercy, you have been chosen to be his people today. And the wonderful thing about 1 Peter, right at the beginning of his letter, he reminds them of that. Let's have a look at it quickly. Let's see verse, chapter 1, verse 3. Let's read that together. Blessed, it's in your Bibles, they're not putting that up, okay? So if you've got a Bible, if you've got a phone, please open it up, please. Please don't take my word for it. Let's do it. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. First thing, we have to be reminded in terms of our identity in Christ as individuals and God's people, and I'll talk about what it means to live as a people in a minute. We have to be reminded that we only receive this, why? Ultimately, because of God's mercy. That's the wonder of the gospel. The wonder of the gospel is you can't do anything about it. You can't do anything to be saved. You can't do anything to be chosen as a people. You can't do anything to receive that mercy. It is according completely 100% to the sovereign mercy of God himself. Next one, chapter 1, verse 10 and 12. Let's unpack exactly what is this. Peter says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring in them... um, Inquiring what a person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Peter reminds them, your salvation, your identity is built on Jesus according to his mercy. And let me tell you, hundreds of years before, thousands of years before, there were prophets searching the scriptures, engaging with the living God to see who this promised cornerstone was going to be. That before even you were a twinkle in your father's eye, there were people searching who this promised one was. This is not just some new fad. 
if you've just become a Christian recently, this is not just a fad that you've joined. This is not just some cool room in a cool place that you've joined and you're part of. This is great. People sing. The music's a bit raw. I quite like that. A bit raw. It's fantastic. This is fantastic. No, this is not a fad that's going to fizzle. This is something that has happened. The Bible tells us in other parts of the Bible before time began. And prophets from thousands of years have searched. What does it mean? Who is Christ? Who is he going to be? What is going to happen? Next one, verse uh, verse 12 of chapter 1. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Here's the key. Things into which angels long to look. You have to recognize that your identity and to have your identity in Christ means that it's gospel-centered. The angels, the Bible tells us, long to look into those things. The the angels don't really understand grace. They They don't get grace. They don't get mercy. They long to understand it. The original word that was written is lust. I don't have to go into what that means. We all know what that means. The original word is the angels lust after the gospel. They can't get enough of it. They want to look into it. They want to search into it. Heavenly beings, right? Heavenly beings lust after the very thing that each of us take for granted. We do at some point in our lives, let's be honest. They long to look in the very thing that God has put in place to save you, to choose you. Next one. Chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. Let's unpack it a little bit more. We need to know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. It is according to God's great mercy, something that the prophets have been searching for. Who was the anointed one? The very thing that heavenly beings lust after, want to know, want to understand what you experience in understanding God's grace. Because you have been bought back, ransomed from, the way one Peter says it, the futile, meaningless ways. A life that is lived outside of an identity in the Lord Jesus Christ is meaningless and futile. To live as the king of your own life is meaningless and futile. Think about it. Just, just put yourself in the place that if you were the sovereign Lord of your own life, how futile is that? You know your own mind and heart. But you have been saved by the precious blood of the one who is the king of your life. Are you with me? This wonderful good news, according to God's mercy, of which they long for, looking for Christ, of which the angels lust after, you have been brought back through the very cornerstone's blood, which is Jesus himself. That's amazing, isn't it? That's worth building your life upon, isn't it? Next one. Chapter 2, verses 24. He himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We have been bought back by the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ from meaningless ways, futile ways. Now hear me when I say this, right? 
the guys out there enjoying all the snowboarding and the surfing, I'd love to be having a go. Would you? That's a wonderful gift from God to be able to do that. You know, I'm sure some of us have been given that gift. I know I probably haven't. So, okay, I'll spend most of my time on my backside. They're wonderful things. Wonderful blessings from God. You start basing your identity on those things. That's so futile, isn't it? It is. So meaningless. It is. But the wonderful thing that we have been saved from those things, and Jesus has bore our sin, our rejection. You know what makes us meaningless and, and makes those ways futile? is because we don't get what it is to live truly as human beings. That's, we don't get it. God has created you. And he has created you to worship him. And unless we worship him and live in his presence and enjoy his glory, you're not truly human. Hear me when I say that. I'm not saying that the folks who don't love Jesus aren't human. They are. But they are searching for what it is to be truly human. Augustine, years ago, one of the church fathers, he says, you have been made by God. You have been made for God, and your heart is restless till you find your rest in God. Not till you know Christ are you truly human. See, the thing that causes us from truly living a humanity the way God called us is our sin, is our rejection of him, our rebellion of him. We don't walk to him who is life. We walk away from him to the things that are futile and meaningless that ultimately lead to what? death we weren't made to die we weren't made to die sin has broken in and distorted that wonderful creation and as a result we die so actually what we're going to is something that we weren't made to experience which was death but jesus jesus who was who did nothing did nothing to deserve that took your sin the bible says he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you may become the righteousness of god the interesting thing is that jesus takes our sin and he dies he he does something that he is not here for there's no way jesus should have died but because he loved us he did and he took his, his sin upon us he has saved us so that you don't have to, and that you can truly live as a human being. Because he, the perfect human being, took sin upon himself, died on a cross in your place, so that you can truly live as a human being and truly find your identity. Next one. Chapter 2, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. The reality is this, if we don't reckon Jesus, recognize Jesus as the king of our life and recognize that we are created to worship God the Father, if we don't recognize those things, we will wander. We will make our own decisions. We will live in this vacuum of, uh, I don't really know what it is to be human. I'm trying to find my purpose and my function and I don't know and I find my identity in this and we'll just wander around. We haven't got a clue. Bottom line. We haven't got a clue. Have we? The reality is this, because of the mercy of God, because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done, of which heavenly beings and prophets of, uh, 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 of the Old Testament looked into and pursued and were looking forward to the wonder of who Jesus was and the simple fact that Jesus, who should not have died, 
died in our place according to his great mercy. And he did it. Why? For us. He died in our place to save us from the futile ways. Now, when we get that, we recognize that we have been made for a purpose. We have meaning. No longer are we sheep. We have a shepherd to lead us. No wonder do we just wander around doing our own thing. Like this guy, he knows a lot about sheep. He's from Wales. All right, okay? If the shepherd is not around, what happens to them? They end up in the road and boom. Agreed? They die. Yeah, and that's, that's authority there. That's a Welsh guy. The Bible says we're like we're no longer sheep without a shepherd. We now have purpose and meaning. We now truly understand what it is to find our identity in Christ. And what is the purpose and what is the function and how we should live. And not only that, chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. New life. New creation. New start. Born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what? A living hope that this life is not all that it's meant to be. One of the themes as you read through 1 Peter is Peter is telling the people of God, listen, this is just for a moment. This being pushed to the, the margins is just for a moment. You have a living hope. A hope that Jesus one day is going to come back and put everything right. And actually you are going to really understand what it is to find your identity in Christ when he's standing there in front of you. You are really going to understand what it is to live as the people of God when we're there worshiping his name. Enjoying a new creation. Enjoying everything the way it should have, should, is meant to be. When Jesus is on his throne saying, I am making all things new. And listen to this. Every tear that you've ever shed will be wiped. Every question that you have got will be answered. Every wrong will be put right. Every, every person that deserves justice will receive justice. And we will enjoy what it is to be truly human in the presence of our King. We have that living hope. So in the midst of university, school, work, where you feel you are on your own, you have a living hope because of the gospel. When pain comes into your family or into your marriage or into your relationship or with, with, with your studies or whatever it is, you have a living hope. Why? Because of the gospel. That actually, you might have disease, you might have disorder, you might have mental health issues, you might have all the things that the consequences of living in a fallen world bring to us, but because of the gospel and because our identity is in Christ, we have a living hope. We're born again now, but we will truly understand what that means when Christ comes back again. If you're a Christian, I know many of you won't be, you should be saying amen and hallelujah in your heart. Because one day all the rubbish is going to end. That's the living hope. And last one before I close. Chapter 5, verse 10. It says this. And after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You live in a world that if you claim the name of Jesus and seek to find your identity in him, you are not an established person. You're a bit of a freak. 1 Peter says, you're a sojourner, you're a foreigner. There's a guy who comes to our church, he's Romanian, Vlad. I'll talk about him later. Unbelievable testimony, great story. Unbelievable testimony, right? 
Vlad is Romanian. The only place where he feels, where he doesn't feel like a foreigner is when he's with the people of God of Cornerstone. Now, if any of you came to Liverpool, you would feel like a foreigner. You would. But imagine coming from Romania. He, he doesn't get the culture. He doesn't get the banter. He doesn't understand. He's not really into football. And if you're not into football, you're going to have a nightmare in my city. Seriously. If you're not into the Beatles, you're going to have a nightmare. You know what I mean? You might as well move to Manchester. But, but, but I'm being serious. And he says, I feel like a foreigner in this city. But when I'm with the people of God, I feel like I belong. See, the, the situation is this. You will truly be established. That is a living hope. You'll be confirmed, restored, and established. Of, as a true human being, as a child of the living God. Friends, that is the gospel. That is the good news. That in the midst of all the rubbish that you experience in this world that we live in, we have a living hope that one day we'll be established and restored. The way that God intended us to be. And it is him who put it in place. And it is him that has restored us. And it is him, him, according to his great mercy. First thing, your identity means that you are gospel-centered. You cannot have your identity in, the, in Jesus Christ unless you get the gospel. Unless you get what Christ has done for you. Unless you believe that. Unless you let that penetrate your life and your heart. Unless you use that as the key to every decision, every moving forward, every area, every conversation, every issue of forgiveness. And we'll look more of that later on when we look about what it means to be marred by God's grace in light of having our identity in Christ. Let me pray.